Let us now turn in our scriptures to Mark chapter 2. It is found on page 1066 of the Pew Bible. Mark chapter 2. Actually, sorry, it's Mark chapter 3. Wrong chapter. I'll be reading verses 7 through 19. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Edomia, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him, for he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bornerges, that is, the sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Thanks be to God for his holy word. I believe we are all familiar with fringe movements. We've all come across a fringe movement or two, or maybe we've been a part of one ourselves at some point or another. A fringe movement is usually a movement that is outside of the norm or what is considered normal. And it's usually a movement that surrounds a leader, an idea, or an organization. And they elevate this leader, idea, or organization to a place higher than it should be. They elevate them to an untouchable level and treat them like idols. They draw large crowds for all the wrong reasons. This happens in many churches when they idolize a pastor. Not that people are allowed to just randomly mistreat pastors, but they, there is an elevation that should never happen, and that is to a place of worship. This happens in politics all the time. You know, this happens in Hollywood and the music industry. And now from the outside looking in, the world would say that Christians are part of a fringe movement. But our response to that is simple. Everyone worships something or someone, including fringe movements outside of the church. And we see a type of fringe movement right here in our text as there are large crowds following Jesus. But there was a problem. Yes, they were elevating Jesus, but they didn't elevate him enough. 
because they misunderstood his purpose. And they were following him for all the wrong reasons. Remember, Jesus said that he came to preach, but they came for healing. We have here those who have been following Jesus, and the large majority of those following Jesus hear his teaching and respond, Oh, that's great, now where's my healing? What can you do for me? And Jesus does a lot for us, doesn't he? He gives us breath of life each morning when we rise out of bed. Out of grace, if he chooses to do so, he heals those who are sick with various diseases. And as the author of Hebrews says, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And he blesses us with many good things to enjoy. But him giving us stuff and taking care of us in this world is of secondary importance. We miss the point if that is the only reason why we elevate and worship Jesus. Because what will happen when hard times come and it feels as though, not that it is truly happening, but it feels as though He has turned His face from us. That He has turned His favor away from us. But out of His amazing grace and compassion, and out of this crowd, He will set apart and appoint His servants who belong to Him. He will save and redeem those who belongs to Him. Here we will distinguish between the fringe movement and those who are called to follow Jesus truly and do His will. First, we notice that Jesus was becoming popular. He, he's becoming something like a, a megachurch pastor with the only difference is that he actually knew the people that were following him. Yet he was facing some opposition. It says Jesus withdrew his disciples. He, he withdrew not only because of the large crowds and because he was becoming popular, but he withdrew also after the Pharisees plotted to kill him. There were, there were those who had an intense hatred and anger toward Jesus, an anger that was unparalleled to the point that we may consider that there was even demonic activity involved. So he escaped and he went to the Sea of Galilee and a great crowd followed him from Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem and beyond as his fame spread to Edomia. Edomia is a place where the Edomites settled after they were forcefully converted to Judaism by the Maccabees. And from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon, which was north of Galilee. And was also, this was also a, a Gentile territory with some Jewish settlement. So there may, may have been non-Jews there in this crowd as they came from various places. So imagine the anger of the Pharisees at this point as well. Imagine they came up and saw this crowd, this mixed crowd of both Jew and Gentile. And when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, not all that he was teaching, 
But all that he was doing, they came to him. At this point, many of the people knew him, but not really. They would have believed that he was a possible candidate for the Messiah who has come to restore Israel, but only in a physical way. Because this is what much of the prophecies sounded like. So they believed that he would have come to take over the world, uh, defeat Israel's enemies, and liberate the captives from sickness, disease, and demonic activity. Now, that is all true, and he will, but he has another task that he was meant to perform before he does all this. So they knew of his healing, but I'm not sure how much they knew of his teaching. It's similar to when we try to bribe our kids to obey with a treat. Uh, We say, do this, and you'll get a cupcake. And they just nod their head, do the task, and say, yeah, now where's my cupcake? Now, Jesus was not trying to bribe anyone. But they must have heard his teaching, nodded their head and said, now where's my healing? Now where's my healing? I, I say this because the, notice the forcefulness of this crowd and, and Jesus' attempt to escape again. He said, it says, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. Now, the funny thing is, he doesn't just sail away or go away uh, in this boat. It it was used as a means to get some space from the crowd. And it could be used as a sort of a pulpit where you can stand and speak to the crowd from the edge of the boat. And the fear was that if he didn't, they would crush him. Talk about a persistent group. Now, we can sympathize with this because these people were suffering immensely from physical illness. And we don't want to ignore that. We don't want to ignore that. But we must ask the question, are they more concerned with the state of their bodies than with the state of their souls? They will tolerate Jesus as he heals their bodies, but will they tolerate him when he challenges them spiritually. Many tend to tolerate preachers when they are speaking about worldly things like how you can be successful, how you can be superficially happy, how you can live a healthy life, etc. But how many will tolerate preachers that speak spiritual truth? Now, this doesn't mean we ignore the serious reality of other people and their diseases. This doesn't mean that our bodies are not important at all. They are important because God gave us these bodies. Jesus even acknowledges this by his actions. It says, for he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. He healed them anyway, even after knowing what they were there for. Imagine, imagine the burden of his ministry. That is the burden of anyone in ministry or any Christian for that matter. How many we know that claim to be Christians who are not following Christ 
for the sake of Christ. But they are following Christ because they want the best life now. They want positive thinking. They want a level of sanity. And if it is for the best life now, then what's the next life going to be like? See, many in Israel by this time have turned their priorities upside down. And this is why Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If our treasure is only found in this world, then it doesn't matter if Jesus heals us or gives us things because we are heading to a treasureless eternity. But also, in regard to this text, there are deeper issues going on. There are deeper things going on. Notice, secondly, the demonic presence. It has increased from when he first started preaching and teaching. It says, And whenever unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. This is the first time that anyone acknowledged him as the Son of God in this gospel. We know Mark acknowledges him as the writer of the gospel, but this is the first time someone publicly Acknowledged Jesus as the Son of God in this gospel. And the irony is, it was his enemies, the unclean spirits, who acknowledge him as the Son of God. It's amazing to think that the unclean spirits can recognize who he is, but the world of unbelievers refuse to acknowledge who he is. That is how wicked unbelief is. That is how evil unbelief is. But on the flip side to that, that is how merciful God is to save those who once totally rejected the idea that Jesus is the Son of God. Now this is a picture of all the angels, including the fallen angels and all of mankind and how one day they will all fall down before the throne where Jesus sits on judgment day. But I don't think we have reached that point yet in our story. Think of what is going on here. When these demons fell before him and cried out, you are the son of God, he was surrounded by people seeking to touch him who did not know his identity but knew he had power to heal them of their ailments. Now think of this. This is an overwhelming atmosphere. And in this atmosphere, the demons were crying out his true identity. But they were seeking to disrupt his plan. Behind what is going on here, you had people, not all people, but many seeking only what he can do for them. And you had demons seeking to defeat him by exposing his true identity, that is, his divine identity. They were seeking to identify him In front of those who did not understand. And who would later condemn him to death. They wanted him dead in other words. Before his time. Before he could save those whom he dies for. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. He wanted them to be silent about his identity. Because 
Many have misunderstood his purpose. And it wasn't his time to go to the cross. The demons were seeking to destroy him and his mission. Because his mission was to destroy them and their mission. What was their mission? Death. Their mission was only death. So think of all that is going on here. It is demonic at the core. You have large crowds pressing him and demons falling before him. So in other words, to summarize, you have one big distraction. One big distraction. It is a distraction from the mission that Jesus was set out to accomplish. And this happens often in the church, doesn't it? Look, we have many people coming to church now. Look, even his enemies seem to be bowing to Jesus. Look, the world is submitting to the will of the church. Look, 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 we are changing the culture. Look, we had generations of this sort of popularity where the church was the voice of the culture around us. Now where are we? Not that hell will ever prevail against the church, but how often has the church's popularity been used as a means of distracting the church from her mission? That is why many churches have forgotten their mission. They look to worldly success and fame and feed off of it and forget what the Word of God has said the mission is really about. But Jesus did not forget his mission. Thank the Lord. He did not forget his mission. He was there to accomplish his mission. He was there to establish his kingdom. He was there to establish his church. Redeem his church. Despite the distractions around him. So thirdly. He continues and went up to the mountain. We're not sure which mountain, but I think the wording here is speaking that he was escaping again into the hills. And he called to himself those whom he desired, and they came to him. He set apart from this crowd a specific group of disciples. Here we see he is setting up an office and a group of leaders, just like we read earlier from our text from Numbers 11. Though in a way this is a picture of salvation as he came to seek and to save the lost. And all of us who are sitting here and believing in Jesus are sitting here and believing because he chose us out of a crowd and called us to himself. And the church is known uh, as the Greek word ekklesia. This means the called out ones. The church is a gathering of those who are called out of the world. But here, he is calling out a specific group of people out of the church. Out of the called out ones. And he doesn't stop at just calling out this group. But he calls them for a specific purpose. 
Here he appointed 12. In the original language, appointing 12 can also be translated as he made. He made ready. He fashioned the 12, which he also named apostles, which is another word for sent out ones. They are to be his representatives, his emissary. The word for apostles is also used for what we now know as missionaries. They are also known as sent out ones. But missionaries are appointed a little bit differently than those who are called to the office of an apostle. Missionaries are normally sent out by the church. The way the twelve apostles were appointed is that they were appointed by Jesus in person. So in order to be an apostle, you had to be appointed by him physically and equipped for the task. This is why Paul is considered the last of the apostles because he was appointed by Jesus on the road to Damascus followed by three years of training. Then he spent 15 days with Peter and then 14 years later he was accepted by the other apostles as an apostle. It was a long haul for him To be considered an apostle. But the purpose of an apostle. Is to lay down the foundation. Of the church. So after Paul. There is no longer. Apostles. There are no more apostles. Today. There are many who are self-proclaimed apostles. Who are not apostles. Apostles are those who lay down the foundation. Then they were gone. There are disciples today, but not apostles. Apostles and prophets, which mind you, the Old Testament and the New Testament, were the foundation of the church and Christ being the cornerstone. Without the cornerstone, you can't build a house. They laid the foundation, then they were gone. Today, we have disciples We are called to be disciples of Christ who now have the written word. But we no longer have apostles. This is an entirely different group. They are unique. But what was the purpose of Jesus appointing them? What are they to do? What is the duty of an apostle? Notice they are similar to what the church is called to do. Yet there are major differences. So three things, one which we already mentioned. First, they are to be with Him. They are to be with Him. In order to be an apostle, you had to be with Jesus. You had to go through a period of training. It was a time of intimate fellowship and intimate discipleship, walking with Jesus literally, not metaphorically, literally. Many people say they walk and, uh, and they're with Jesus. But usually we, 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 when we say walk with Jesus, we're speaking metaphorically in the spirit. Here, they had to physically walk with Jesus. So the same is true in a sense for us today as disciples. But this is not some mystical experience. He is not here physically, yet if we claim to be Christians and disciples, we are to be trained Through his word. 
This is why I am called to preach every week. This is the place where discipleship begins. This is where it happens. These days they speak of discipleship as just one-on-one. No, discipleship begins with the preached word. Because the best school for any of us to attend is the school of Christ, where we can learn from Him and about Him from His Word. And it doesn't matter how much education we have, neither. It doesn't matter. Consider Peter and John. When they were brought before the high priests and the council in Jerusalem, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They were apostles because they learned much from Jesus in person. And today, we must recognize Jesus is merciful, gracious, and compassionate to all who come to Him. He gently leads slow-learning sheep so that they may learn from Him. And it is something that all followers of Christ should long for, and that is to learn from Jesus, about Jesus, so that we can be with Jesus. Unlike the crowds who just followed Him to get something from Jesus. Secondly, just as in the letter of John, He says to His disciples that He is to send them out. He said to them, You did not choose Me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. He is speaking to the apostles here, as he promised that they would bear fruit, and that fruit would be spirit-filled churches, and that the gates of hell shall not prevail against those churches, and that they are to go and to preach. He sends them out with the task to preach the gospel and call many to Christ as a foundation of the church that will spread around the world. This is what establishes the church and then many other local churches. And within those local churches, ministers are set up to preach in season and out of season. Even during our time today where preaching has become irrelevant and most people, most people get bored quickly And tune out. Either that or they are hardened by their own sin. But this is just evidence of the spiritual state of our people today. We are witnessing today the walking dead who no longer tolerate sound teaching. Yet this is still our task. Thirdly, he gave them authority to cast out demons. Now, as I said, everything was given to them by Jesus, including their authority to cast out demons. They didn't have this authority in themselves. They are not on the same level as Jesus. Their authority was given and derived from Jesus. This wasn't voodoo or magic. 
It was a God-given authority for a specific purpose and time. It was not part of the average everyday Christian's experience. And it is not part of the average everyday Christian experience today. Once the disciples all pass away from this world, the miracles that accompanied their work would also fade away. Because this authority was given to them, and they exercised through signs, wonders, casting out demons, healing the sick, and various miracles. Why? To prove that they were apostles. To prove that they had been with Jesus. This was a sign. This was a mark of an apostle. And they would exercise these signs. You think of uh, Pentecost and how tongues, they started speaking in tongues. And the church grew at a remarkable speed and growth. That was for that time. And then, as the church was established, it faded away. But these apostles would eventually have a part in writing the New Testament. Either directly or indirectly through a scribe. So that now, if we want to learn of the kingdom of God and how to be part of the kingdom of God. If we want to learn about Christ, we have the Holy Scriptures. We no longer have apostles We don't need apostles anymore. We don't need all the signs and the wonders. Remember Jesus said, they ask for a sign and they will have none. They already have it. In his life, death, and resurrection. We no longer need the office of apostle. What we do need are disciples. We need disciples. So why is all this important for us? Why is it important for us to know that Jesus appointed these 12 and set them apart for a specific purpose? Well, one, it's to encourage us. It is to encourage us to show us that God is faithful. He is faithful to His Word. He is faithful that He will lay down the foundation. And the gates of hell and this demonic activity will not prevail against the church. We have confidence that God will carry through His ministry. Through weak vessels. And I include myself in that one. Weak vessels. We ought to rejoice in what Jesus does here. Because Jesus is appointing these apostles and he is laying down the foundation that would eventually lead to us and our calling out of the world. It's a spiritual lineage that he begins. We are sitting here because Jesus called and appointed these twelve and gave them authority to establish the kingdom of God and made them a church. They preach So the next generation would preach. So the next generation would preach. Until you and I hear this glorious gospel. God's providence is amazing. 
And we should rejoice in that providence. We don't suffer the fate of the demons. We won't suffer the fate of the demons if we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And today as a church, we too have a task and we too are engaged in a spiritual warfare. It might not involve casting out demons, yet it is still spiritual, not bodily. Remember, we can get distracted and treat our enemies as if it is a physical warfare. And if this physical warfare is actually going to solve the problem. But Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Because we can be very worldly in our response to the world. And that is where we need to be careful and reevaluate what we are actually here for as a church. So it says here he appoints 12. But who were they? You see, the number 12 is significant because here was to symbolize that he is here to rebuild Israel. It stands for the 12 tribes of Israel being rebuilt, in a sense. In this list of apostles, we have some familiar names. And it starts with Simon, who is to be renamed Peter by Jesus. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who are named sons of thunder. Why? I have no idea. Uh, it's, It's an awkward name. It's a cool name, but I really don't know why. Uh, They're named Sons of Thunder. Andrew, Peter's brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Levi or Matthew, the tax collector, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot. Now that's an interesting one because he's not called the zealot because he was a religious zealot or he had a zeal for God. Uh, The title here is speaking of a nationalist or a political zealot. In other words, he was a, a political activist and patriot who is called out of that into an end times religion that seems pretty apolitical. And of course, you had Judas Iscariot who betrayed him and he will be forever remembered for that betrayal as a warning for us. So here we have a group of men from different backgrounds. Different jobs, different roles, Yet he brings them together as a church, just like we have today. We have this unity in diversity of all of those who are called out by Jesus Christ. And they follow him and they leave everything behind, including their life of sin, to follow him. So I guess the important question for us today as we view this entire text, as we covered much in this text, is to ask ourselves the question, are we following Jesus? Or are we following the crowd that follows Jesus? Are we just seeking the popularity of being associated with Jesus? 
Is that all we want? Is there something that we want from Jesus more than Jesus himself? Or do we want to follow Jesus, love Jesus, get to know Jesus, and seek to do his will? Or is the church distracted? That will be the main difference between those who are in the crowds and those whom he appointed to be his apostles. It will be the main difference between those in the crowds out there today claiming they follow Jesus and those who are his true disciples today. And not all of us preach. Not all of us preach. But we still have a calling as Christians to support the ministry of the local church. In whatever way the Lord has gifted you. That is our calling today. It is still our calling today. And we are called to examine ourselves to see if we truly, truly seek to follow the Savior. In all that He has taught us. And this is especially important today as we are now going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. That we examine ourselves to see if we truly follow the Lord Jesus. And are we following Him, following Him according to His Word? If He has called you today, this is how He calls you. He calls you through His Word. Not signs, not the wonders... There are many people talking about signs and wonders today that it's from God. Well, how do you know? How do you know it's not demonic activity? Doesn't he hide himself in light? What appears to be from God that cannot be proved from Scripture could be Satan misleading us. He calls you today By his word. And if you are called by his word today. You are called out of the world. By his spirit. And I pray that you would respond. To that call. From his word this morning. Amen.